What is up guys and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And I'm James. And joining us today, live via the miracle that is the interwebs, it's board game celebrity compared to us. <laughs> uh, you might even hear hear the laugh there. It's, uh, it's Mr. Dan Hughes. How are you doing, Dan? Hello, I'm very well. I'm very well. As I said, as I said in the in the preamble, I'm I'm on two weeks holiday from work. Uh, not no responsibilities. I can lay in bed all morning if I want to. It's fantastic. So oh. I'm, I'm I'm good. I've got to admit, I'm incredibly jealous. Although I was on holiday last week, so yep. I'm not that jealous. That's fine. <laughs> I, I've got a day off tomorrow, so there you go. We're, we're all happy. We're all rested. Well, I say rested because yes. you're you're going to be very busy very very soon, aren't you? Uh, well, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm always busy. Yes, I'm, I'm running a Kickstarter soon in October, um, end of October. I'm, I'm busy all the time, to be honest. I'm, I'm preparing for that Kickstarter. But yeah, starting October, we're going to be running the CoraQuest um, expansion. CoraQuest, keep on questing, which is a title I'm very proud of. No one else is impressed <laughs> with it, but I, but I like it. Yeah, which is expansion for the, for the, for the game that myself and my daughter designed, the Dungeon Crawler, Family Dungeon Crawler. Um, I need to hit all these marketing points. You've, you've surprised me by going in so hard at the beginning. Oh, that's, yeah, that's no. the issue. That's what we like to do. We, <laughs> most people like to wait till the end. And I've given exactly. you a, a few notes to say that we were going to do it at the end, but sod it. I just mix it up a bit and yeah. uh, chuck it in at the, fr- at the start as well. Oh, wow. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it's an expansion for the Cora Quest, which is a family weight dungeon crawling game that I designed with my daughter, which you've reviewed on this podcast very kindly. We and have I've indeed. listened to Listen to a fair few times because I'm a narcissist. Um, so, so if you if, if you notice 12, 12 or thirteen kind of downloads from Huddersfield, that's that's me listening to a, a pleasant review over and over again. I, I, so. I did wonder. I, 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 was <laughs> say, I, I was looking at my, my narcissist side is is looking at our stats and it's like, well, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, everyone's a narcissist. Yeah. So, if any any podcasters out there want an extra 10 20 downloads on their stats and just just review Cora Quest favorably <laughs> and uh, and you'll get me listening to it so there's a little tip for you nice well we got a few podcasting friends we might uh, might give them another <laughs> day you want some extra downloads there you go <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So obviously, we we refer to you as a little bit of a, a board game celebrity because you've kind of been all over the place, haven't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I think I'd reject the celebrity thing. I don't think I'm in in the top in that kind of tier. I'm a kind of board game Z lister, I'd say. So <laughs> I, I've I've been working. I've been working. I've been putting stuff on the dice tower for for a long time now, about eight years. Um, so I started off just contributing. A, I started a board game club in Huddersfield, and we. I wanted a way of getting people to know about it, and I thought mm. sneakily, I thought if I do a segment for the Dice Tower, which is the, which at the time was the, the biggest podcast out there, really. Yes. Um, then people might listen to it and then come to my board game club. So I did a segment on the Dice Tower about. Um, Starting a board game club, basically, and and the kind of trials and tribulations and how how, how to do that. Um, that was back when the Dice Tower podcast actually had segments and things. And then I started with my eight year old. Well, she wasn't eight; she was four at the time. Mm. Four year old daughter doing board game reviews on the Dice Tower video channel. Yeah. Um, and then I've done all sorts of other stuff really within board gaming. I've I, I kind of founded a podcast called This Game is Broken, so I, I created that and, and produced that for oh, 20 episodes or so, I think. Okay. Um, and that's like a board gaming panel show with Matthew Jude and the Brothers Murph and Dave Loser. 
and then I, I quit that because it was too much work. And then I started a, <laughs> a, a much easier podcast with Mike Delisio, who didn't wasn't in the Dice Tower when I started the podcast with him. He was just another nobody like me. But then he got a job in the Dice Tower, and and he's now a, a now he's a list celebrity, and he's left me in his dust. I was the dominant partner. I was the alpha dog in that relationship, and now unfortunately he's uh, he's grown beyond me. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's basically what I, I do. I do all sorts of. I just dabble in board game media, basically. Nice. Um, that's, that's what I do. I, well, like yourselves, you're podcasting. It's just a bit of fun, isn't it? Bit of fun. It is. I, I've got to admit, it was something I wanted to do for absolutely ages. James got dragged in about a year ago because uh, I originally, <laughs> I originally started this with someone else. Um, they they sort of fell out of love with it, disappeared off into the ether, and then I kidnapped James, chained him to the chair, and uh, now he's stuck here. Yep. I wonder what the chains were about. I wondered that. I didn't want to say anything. Send oh, like- help and food. <laughs> it's not that bad. We got a newsman who's locked in the shed with a rubber duck. So it's- oh, right. Okay. <laughs> That's his only Very friend. He's, he's only he has to stay in there and give me news every week. So yeah, <laughs> we're we're all friendly. Honestly, <laughs> never mind the chains. Yep. But yes, indeed. I, I think while we're here, I I would personally like to get a bit get to know you a bit better because i, I listen okay, to okay. sporadically bored i'm a big fan yep. i am slowly getting through the back catalog because i only found it about eight nine months ago all right okay um, um luckily i drive for a living so i get to listen to it pretty much every day all right where, where, where do you drive what do you drive so I, I uh i deliver water around london so i get to drive ah. in the most horrible city in uh in the uk you know, so. I, I knew london was backwards but i didn't know they didn't have taps so that's uh that's a that's a that's a new one on me well yeah yeah <laughs> oh. no 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 the office knobs they don't drink from a tap no 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 no, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah the uh oh very good they must be heavy to lug around the, yes they are <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, in the recent heat, I'm not going to lie, it was torture. Yeah, so, yeah that, that sounds absolutely horrendous. Especially yeah, as yeah. Uh, that seemed to be a really fashionable time for lifts to break down in London as well. Ah, so, probably, yeah. probably, probably something to do with the heat, I would imagine. Yeah, I would have uh, thought so. Yeah. But yeah. Shall we, so there you uh, go. Shall, shall we ask Dan some questions? Let's James? do it. Let's I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you kick off with something. Uh, no, you go first. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> We're really organised here. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, let's start at the very beginning, you know, because we're a podcast. We, we have to ask you the obvious questions. Where did your uh, journey start within within gaming and what was your first earliest gaming memories? I, th- I think I think like most people, you, you could you could give three answers to that. I used to I used to play board games with my brother and sister. So the, my favorite game growing up um, was Survive, Escape from Atlantis, which incredibly is, is still a fashionable game now. I didn't realise at the time it was, just a, it was just a board game like any other at the time. But I used to love playing that with my brother and sister. So that you could say that was the start of it all. Or you could say kind of when I when I was 16, 17, 18 and playing D&D with my, uh, with my geeky friends in, in Warhammer and, and Talisman and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I did, I did that kind of that phase of my life for about four or five years. And then I became an adult and, and uh, other stuff got in the way, really, jobs and all that kind of thing. And then about, well, it must be about eight, nine, ten years ago now, I went to a friend's house and played Carcassonne. And I instantly went home, bought Carcassonne, made my wife play Carcassonne with me the very next day, made her play another game of Carcassonne the day after, 
Then a month, fast forward one month, I've got forty board games on my shelf um, <laughs> because because when I, when I do things, I go in hard. Yeah. Um, and 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 then a month later, I've got a hundred, and then a month later, I've got one hundred and fifty, and and then and then since then, it's been a, a, a kind of process of working out what my tastes are because um, those initial days you're all like everything's fantastic and to be fair everything is fantastic until you realize some things are a bit more fantastic than others really and, and so kind of narrowing down what my tastes are and, and at the moment i only own of my own i only own um three board games oh um i'm jealous <laughs> yeah well my, my my reasoning is i only want to own board games that i can't play someone else's copy of um and all, all, all my friends have massive board game collections, so we're all saying, "Do you want to play my copy of Glenmore or your copy of Glenmore?" Which is a bit ridiculous, really. Yeah. Um, so if someone's going to be cheap and not buy board games, it's going to be me. So I, I'm the one leeching off all my friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, introduce James at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it's more the fact that you are like, oh, I'm really interested in this board game. Already got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And. And we are valuable resources. We are the we are the the most we are the glue that keeps board game groups together. Yep. Because because people are desperate to play the new hotness they bought, and we're the ones facilitating that. If everyone's desperate to play the new hotness, then every, everyone's frustrated. So we just go with the flow. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I, saying that, I do have like 200, 200 kids board games, um, and that's because well, the, firstly because I play a lot of games with my daughter Cora and and. and also used to play a lot of games with my older kids who, who I still play games with them now and again, mm. but, but th- that's where the children's board game collection came from. And also I used to run a kids board gaming club oh, nice. uh, pre pre COVID um, and just haven't got round to starting that back up again, basically. But, um, but, but I've still got the library for that in the house. So I need to, I need to get on that really. I've just been quite busy with core requests and, and stuff. It's that's just, um, it's got to be some, uh, t- some free promotion for you. There. It's like restart it up. Oh, the only game we've got now is uh, multiple copies of core requests. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe. Although, yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think I would like to play some different games than core. I'll tell, I t- I t- tell you what the, uh, the, the, um, the playtesting uh, process certainly saps joy out of uh, a game um if you you know on the 200th playthrough of any game you're gonna be like (laughs) i think i've probably had it i wouldn't mind playing something else i I can definitely Uh, agree with that i think there was a point just before we um we did a review of root and i love root i'm still to this day i love root but i played it something like 27 times in two weeks and i haven't touched it since yes yeah yeah. (laughs) that was enough to, to to burn me out on the game you know it's still in the collection i still love the game but it's kind of a it's never put into my rotation of I want to play this game or take it with me to a game club, for example, because I'm still burnt out on this game. Which is why I don't have apps for board games that I like playing. Because if you play a game on the toilet, um, there's something something is taken away from the specialness of that game, I think. So Ticket to Ride, for example, I mean, I do play Ticket to Ride, but, but about f- four years ago, the Ticket to Ride app, and I was just, playing it at idle times at work, just idly playing it. And if you're treating a board game like Bejeweled Blitz or something like that, it, it takes away some of the, the specialness of it and, the, and the, the enjoyment in it, and you'd just rather play something else with your friends when you see them. So that that, that, that gets sent to the back of a... So I, I, for me, a, a, a really good board game app is almost the death of a game as a board game, and it, it kind of takes it over as, a, as an app type. It, it's... Ironic, you actually brought that up. To be fair, because as James will attest to, like I've only recently got into the whole board game arena 
things. Mm -hmm. So I've I've been playing that a lot. Like before we went live today, I was playing Dice Theme Park on there. I've got Dice Theme Park, but mm. now with how easy it is, that's the problem. Can I see. really be bothered to set it up and do all yeah. of the, the maintenance of you know having this game here when I could just go and play another game that I don't get on board game arena exactly exactly your your dice theme package has been scratched and so why would you bother getting to that to the table when instead you could do play wildlands or mm, exactly zombie side i'm yeah. trying to read your dial game shelf here <laughs> flashpoint fire rescue maybe yeah. i don't know um but yeah why, why wouldn't you play one of those games instead yeah no exactly so i mean are you does that mean you're just overall not a fan of the digitization of board games no or? no I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of it i'll, I'll, I'll play them I've, I've got knock mal on my phone i'm playing all the time i just don't i think once something gets in my headspace as a digital game and then discount it as a as a board game so i get equal i get value out of knock mal on my phone but it's, it's, it's as a waste of time rather than an actual event if that makes any sense another one for me would be uh ganshun clever yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's that's it. Although I've forgotten the rules for that, so I I, I was playing. It's on my phone. I was playing it the other day. I thought I've got no. I'm just randomly pressing <laughs> square. Yeah, I need to relearn the rules. Um, but but yeah, yeah, Ganshin Clever is an, another great one. Fantastic app, but I don't want to play it ever in person because I'd rather play something else now because because that itch has been scratched. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I didn't answer the question, by the way, but I can't even remember what the question was, so that's, <laughs> that's Early, fine. Earliest gaming memory. Earliest gaming memory. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh that, that counts then as well. The, the fourth, my fourth, my fourth awakening as a gamer would be playing with my kids. So the, you've got the me playing as a kid, you've got me, me playing as an 18-year-old, me playing as a as a, as an adult, and then me playing as a parent. I think they're, they're the kind of four awakenings i've had so that yeah so i would answered that too much i apologize i hadn't realized <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that at all <laughs> do you have any standout games from when you were growing up that you either liked or didn't like um yeah basically well as i said um uh survive was the one that i absolutely adored um i also adored ghost castle was it ghost castle yes with the, ghost castle with, with, the, with the little ghost on the top I yeah, and you like, put a skull down in a chimney, it. and it rolled down. It rolled down a, and that was a toy factor completely. Oh, and yeah. the other game, the other game, I played loads and loads, but only ever my improvised solo rules um, was Crossbows and Catapults. I played that a lot as well, nice. but that was. I'm not convinced I was playing that as a game. I was playing that as a as a toy. Oh, I, th I think we all were. I, yeah, is that one that's been reprinted recently? I, I'm sure. I don't I think it's been officially like reprinted. I think it's called something else now, but it basically is. Yeah. Crossbows and catapults. It went to Kickstarter, and lots of people played lots of money for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I saw it at uh, UK Games Expo this year as well. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, no. I, I, I think it's definitely out there. The other game I played a lot was Atmosphere, which is awful. I don't know if you've ever played Atmosphere <laughs> recently, but it really, really is a bad game. It, it, it's subjectively and objectively a bad game. I uh, the, About five years ago, again, I organised a Halloween Atmosphere game in a local pub. Yeah. So I, I got, I think it was eight copies of Atmosphere from the eBay and on and projected the, the, the gatekeeper, whatever his name is, onto the big screen, you know, the big where they put all the, the football on, yeah. was the gatekeeper telling, giving us all instructions. Because it's a, nice. it's a he's, he's using a time thing. And I thought, this is going to be fantastic. This is going to be so much fun. I loved Atmosphere. This is going to be so much... Well, it was awful. Cause it was just <laughs> such a bad game. And, and, and even the kind of campiness of the, the the gatekeeper didn't didn't save it from the fact yeah. he was 
it was shocking. I'm surprised Restoration Games hasn't brought Atmosphere out or Nightmare, as I think they call it in America. Now, most of the games I remember from when I was a kid are like, you know, the standard, you know, the, the MB games library. And it's just awful games. It's like, like what a standout one for me that is just terrible is Mousetrap because you spend forever <laughs> setting it up and it never works. Yeah, that's, a, that's another one you use as a toy though, isn't it? You, yes. just, you just set it up and you don't bother doing the, yeah, the disguise, actual... disguise it as a game when no, it's, it's just a toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the game is trying to set the, set the game up. Yeah. I, think, I think you just go. I think it's roll and move, and every time you hit a point, you put a new bit on. As far as I remember, the the game being, and the person who's last there gets mouse trapped yeah, it's, it's or something. something. Like that, yeah, it's but the, so it good. always went off way before it should do, or something collapsed, or the elastic band snapped, or and you just used yeah. to set it up and set it off just because, like, for once, I want to see this thing actually work. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, an- another question I, I would I would actually have for you, and it, I suppose this could be from bringing old games back, but you know, with your comment about Star Wars, how do you personally feel about like intellectual property being used within games? Because I know a lot of gamers are sort of, yeah, I don't mind it. Other gamers, I love it. Other gamers, I hate it. It's that sort of real Marmite argument. It doesn't bother me. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I, I struggle sometimes with 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 people basing their personality on the media they consume. And, mm. and I, 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 think, I think it can be very problematic. I think Star Wars is a great example. I, I do love Star Wars. I love Star Wars. But some people base so much of their personality on Star Wars that when it doesn't go the way they want, it feels like a personal attack. And yeah. so, and, and so they, they send death threats to actors. You know, they, all, all, all this ridiculousness. And it's because their identity is so tied up with the pile of Funko Pops they've got in a corner yeah. <laughs> um, that they, they struggle to kind of tease out the fact that because they're not ultimately they're not in control so they've invested so much of their their self-identity in something they have no control over which i think is really difficult and i think is a big problem within geek culture that's slightly more philosophical than what you're asking but i think some companies um naming no names because i'm a professional in the industry now and i'm not allowed to name names but i <laughs> I, 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 I would have done otherwise um naming no names use ips as a basically money grabbing exercise to be fair i think there's multiple that would uh, fit that bill. So I think you're okay on that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And they don't put the effort into the, the game itself. And that, to me, shows a massive disrespect to the consumer. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with a company making a game you don't like, but they did the best they could and it's because it's not in your taste. But people putting dross out because they don't have any respect for the consumer and see them just as a as a, a cash cow to be milked as much as possible, I, I, I find all, all aspects of that a bit reprehensible. And there's so many businesses and so many facets of our, our lives where we are seen as just products to be milked. And board gaming, because it's been such a cottage industry is never and, and run by enthusiasts, has sort of managed to avoid that in, in the great thing, which I think is one of the most beautiful things about, about the board game industry. I mean, the most beautiful thing about board gaming is spending time with your friends. Yeah. That's yeah. what's beautiful about board gaming. But the beautiful thing about the industry is that it has respect for its customers. And I think there's a trend now with companies getting bigger and more corporate that these IPs are another tool to milk the milk the plebs. Yeah, really. definitely. And I think, yeah. um, I mean, again, we, we, we talked a little bit earlier uh, before recording about Marvel and, and how saturated the sort of movies and TVs and stuff has been. The games are just as bad. Like a game will come out and you can expect within a year it's going to have a Marvel IP slapped all over it. Yeah, and our June one at the moment. The June, yeah. yeah, that's another one. As I said, I love Marvel, but, you know, where, where they brought the Marvel dice thrown out, it was a kickstart. Do you know what? I'm going to pass on that one. I'm... I'm 
I'm done with Marvel. And then it came out retail. I was like, oh, but it's Marvel. I really want to play it. It looks good. And ended up buying it and was looking through it the other day. I was like, why, why did why did I buy this? This is just mm. Dice Throne with Marvel slapped on it. Yeah, yeah. And Dice Throne's a great, a great game. Mm. And, and, yeah. uh, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody for buying stuff. And I'm not criticizing anybody for putting it out. There's a genuine love and, and, and for that IP and stuff. But I just, just, I just don't like being milked, really. I can understand that. Yeah, James always avoids the whole milking with the never buying games, don't you? Really? You just get. <laughs> I, I beat you to one nemesis. Yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. it. Well, I, I, I'm as I'm as susceptible as anyone else. I mean, the, the, there was two Masters of the Universe games came out. Well, on Kickstarter or in GameFound, yeah, and I was this close. <laughs> well, exactly. I was this close because because the thought of. Because that was just so cool. And yeah. again, you know, part of my identity, part of my childhood is Master of the Universe and stuff. You watch a He-Man cartoon now, they don't, they're not, I mean, they're all right, but they're not good. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, the most recent She-Ra was great, actually. But but the um, but they're not good. But yeah, it was part of me, so I yeah. want to own that part of me. I think that's why, because like, I, I ended up with the, the Cool Mini or Not Wacky Races, and it was... It was like the game doesn't look all that great, but it's wacky races, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Part of my childhood. It's, it's, dif- it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. We're all, we're all we're all tools to the corporate machine. That's it. Grease for their cogs. Yes, indeedy. <laughs> I mean, you talked a little bit about uh, the fact that you run a, a kids' game club, but it stopped because of COVID. We might as well talk a little bit about that, especially as we're all here in the UK. How have you found that's affected your gaming and your local gaming? Um, well, it, it stopped my gaming with adults for, for a period of time. We, we, we did have a period where we were playing on Tabletop Simulator, mm. um, but that kind of petered out because it's just not the same. It's 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 fun for the first 20 minutes, and then the, the interface gets in the way, and you're a bit fed up of clicking and, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and I've never really been back to the board game club since. I mean, I've been a couple of times, but it's not felt the same. So my, my board gaming group got a lot lot smaller. The people I played games with yeah. kind of reduced during COVID because there was all those periods where you're allowed to have three people round as long as you both yeah. on one leg or, or whatever. I can't remember <laughs> the I can't, I can't remember the rules now, but there are lots of very intricate rules about how many people are in a household and you can mix two households but not three different out, you know, all that kind of stuff. Which is absolutely fine. I'm not I'm not criticizing any of those rules. Mm. They, they were they were necessary. So I kind of went to play at people's houses instead of went to play at the game store. And also our local game store shut down during COVID for various reasons and didn't reopen. And oh. so we've only just recently got one back. So so my, my gaming group shrank. What did happen was I played a lot more a lot of games with Cora, and my daughter, and a lot of games with um slightly slightly fewer games but still some games with my, my, my wider family and the game Llama I don't know if you've ever played Llama Rhino Kutsu's Llama I haven't became... it's always been one that I, I've sort of looked at though <laughs> it's it's Uno yep. with a bit of a twist it, 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 there, there's very little there's, it's not you know but it, it, it fills the gap that Uno has as well in that it was a great enjoyable game that no one had to think about and we could just laugh and joke as a family and the my youngest daughter could play with my eldest daughter with with no kind of disparity of skill because basically you don't need a lot of skill in it it's just kind of look so so that became very important and that's i think there's a few things that got us through through lockdown there was llama there was um taskmaster we all enjoyed that as a as a family nice. and there was a, a, a youtuber called called um jazza who's like an artist um and and he, we spent a lot of time watching him as well so so it was one of those one of those things that kind of bonded us as a family and just kind of just helped get us get us through really and provide enjoyable times so board gaming was important but it kind of switched from playing with um 
grown-ups to playing with. And obviously, Korra Quest came out of the, the lockdown as well. Korra Quest was an attempt right at the beginning to try and almost distract my youngest daughter, Cora, and also me from from worry and, and any kind of anxiety yeah. or anything like that, because it was something to do together that was creative, that was positive, that was exciting, that meant we didn't have to worry about anything else. We were just kind of almost not locked in a room, but you know what I mean? We, we were just together working on this thing and, and creating something that Cora never really thought was possible. She she saw board games as a, a finished product that no one had anything to do with. Course, do you know what I mean? Yeah. She, 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 doesn't, she didn't pay any attention to designers' names or, or listen to any interviews with people. So they were just things that appeared, just like um, a TV cartoon is something that appears. You don't think, well, she doesn't think there's yeah. someone behind it. Uh, and the fact that we were able to create it and something enjoyable was, was absolutely fantastic. And, and she was really kind of excited by the process. Mm. So that, that helped as well. That's nice. So it was, essentially, it was a, a homework. It, it, it was. I mean, I mean, I, 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 the, the, the first days of, um, of lockdown were pretty grim when it came to homeschooling because the, the teachers weren't ready for it. Of course. So yeah. it, was, it, was, it was kind of look up Romans on the internet. Um, basically, hidden maths, hidden hidden computers, hidden literacy work, hidden everything really through through that. But I, I, I wouldn't want to just boil it down to just educational stuff. It was it was a it was a act of joy in creation. Yes, I, I know James has uh, has really enjoyed it like, on the on the few times that we've got it to the table because obviously whenever my you know, my son doesn't live with me, but uh, whenever he's down, he always asks to play Core Quest. That's which, really that's really which nice, is, which that's, is awesome. Yeah, you know he he's just turned nine. He still asks to play now which is even better but yeah obviously james gets roped in every time yeah. <laughs> if, he, if he happens to turn up at my house and dylan's still awake it will sort of run over to james oh we're playing this it's like, yeah you've never dis disenjoyed it have you no i think it's it? a, a wonderful little game um especially as an introduction to that whole world of dungeon crawlers which yeah you know traditionally they have been quite like a mouthful Effectively, you know, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. They, they they they're usually quite complex, and and also they're often quite grim, dark, and and quite graphic, and yes. you know. Um, I I love a good dungeon caller. One of my favourites is um, Catacombs. That's it. Yeah. Catacombs. I think. Okay, so. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. The one I like. <laughs> that one. That's that obviously one. I'm I'm expert in. Um, it, it's all about kind of people escaping from hell and things like that. So so it's like, well, I mean, I'm no I'm no prude, but. Some things are more enjoyable for kids than others, and and, yeah. and running around with demons with seven breasts and all that kind of stuff isn't isn't particularly isn't particularly something kids get a lot out of. No. So um so yeah, I mean I mean Jerry Hawthorne who who designed Mice and Mystics and um, uh, Stuff Fables and the new Unfamiliar Tales, mm. he's been doing dungeon crawler type games for kids. But other than that, there's not really anything out there. There's Karak as well, I think, which I've never played. I've, I've heard that's quite kid friendly. Hero Quest was obviously the the original. But yeah, I think there's a lot of Euro-y games for kids, but there's not many merry, merry trash games for kids. There's still no game where you're flying around in a spaceship shooting things. It's true. Why yeah. Why is there no game for kids that you're flying around in spaceships shooting things? Well, I guess, yeah, because I suppose the closest you've got to that would be uh, X-Wing, wouldn't it? And that's not yeah, exactly that's not a family-friendly really game, is it? No. I mean, I mean my, my, my son used to play X-Wing with me when he was 12. There's nothing for a six- or seven-year-old you can fly around and shoot spaceships. I guess we know what uh, what you'll be designing next. <laughs> no, no, no. I've had a quick go, but but I um, no, it's it doesn't click. So we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, yeah. I think there's yeah. um, I, 
I late pledged it actually. Uh, I think it's a game that's coming out from Alley Cat Games, which looks all but Star Fox, the game, which right. looks very similar to that because I saw that at Games Expo. So I'm hoping that that's going to be an easy enough one that I can play with yeah. that one. Because again, yeah. he, he loves space. He loves the idea of, you know, spaceships flying around and fighting and all that kind of stuff. But as you said, there's not really a great deal out there to do no, I, that. No, I, I, I and I don't know if it's because people shy away from, from violence in kids' games, and that's something that I very much did take on board with Core Quest. I don't know if you've noticed, but no one ever dies in Core Quest. They're defeated. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and, and the heroes, the story always ends with the heroes getting out of the dungeon, and it's never that explicit, actually, but, but there's various things in the adventures where you're just defeating the enemies. You're not killing them. They're just they're just of running course, away yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or, or whatever. Um, even though every kid I've ever played with it says, I kill it! Yeah. Because kids are <laughs> ultimately incredibly violent, <laughs> But maybe, maybe my, my def- the, the, the word defeat is there for, for to reassure the adults rather than the yeah. children. But um... <laughs> it's what solidifies it as a family-friendly game. What yep. the kids do yeah. with it is up to them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Describing how they split the split the orc's head open with an axe. It's like okay. <laughs> Yeah, need definitely. to not chat with a social worker. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's kind of shying away from that because very trashy games are often about conflict, aren't they? I know one of James's things, like when he, when I first introduced the game to him, was was that caught your eye was, was the artwork. Because you immediately, I obviously didn't tell you initially that it was obviously all designed by children and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was, oh, the art, the artwork's very different. I've never seen anything like this. And of course, that's the point I told you. Yeah. And, you know, your reaction was, was fantastic, really. Yeah. It's just, again, it's just a wonderful little thing about it that, you, that you've done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that all comes from from Gary, the who's, that, who's the artist I work with for it. And, and, and as I said, a few times recently the, the project isn't really mine and Cora's it's mine, Cora's and Gary Gary is um, a, a third at least of of, of the, the project and, and shares copyright with us and it, it's not like a, a normal board gaming relationship where you employ an artist to do your art and then they go away Gary's Gary's been in it right from the beginning and it wouldn't have been possible without Gary and it is the project it is because of Gary as much as either me and Cora because because the art is so integral to it and it's it's basically every single bit of art in there is, is um, a child's drawing which Gary's traced over and coloured in and then amalgamated in and photoshopped in and, 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 and done all that and, and while it looks really really good and I'll, I'll, I'll argue with anybody who says it doesn't look good it also is clearly still kids art yeah. uh, and that, and that's really important to us because because the other aspect of Cora Quest which we're really really proud of and again this is something that primarily comes from Gary is the fact that you kids can draw their own characters and then use our app to to make their own heroes make their own um, enemies we, it, the whole thing's a very modular game that's how we designed it if that makes any sense it, it was always bolting things on during the yeah. design process right so so right from the ground up it's been very modular and so people can 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 use that modularity to, to make their own adventures and, uh, and, and and things like that. So the fact that it's kids' art in it means that kids aren't going to be intimidated to put their own art into it either. Because I don't know about you, but I used to read comics, um, either the Beano or... or um, Dandy. So kids look at the Beano or the the Dandy and and Marvel comics, and they think, I can't draw like that. So I used to do my own comics and think, I'm throwing away because they're rubbish. But if if the the art in there is kids' art, then then they feel empowered, you know, that's the same as I can do. So I I can do it, you know, and and that's, that's really important to us. And that's part of the reason why why it's got kids out in it and the other part is it looks great and the other part is that it's it feels more like a community project you know yeah 
we, we, we kick-started this. We initially had a, a small group of, of 50 to 100 people who were members of our, our Facebook group who'd kind of joined in. And their kids did the art for the box, and that was really exciting. And then then we went to Kickstarter, and then we got more kids to send us art for the dungeon cards. And there's over 200, I think there's over 250 or 200 ki- different children's art in the game. So there's 200 kids in the world who can, who, who can take this off the shelf when they're 40 years old and show their 10-year-old kid and say, look, I did that. And that, that's ace. That's amazing. That is really cool. Yeah. Uh, I- I was uh, watching your appearance on the um, on the Dice Tower earlier, and uh, yeah. I, I did take note of the fact that uh, one Eric Summerer managed to get yeah, one of his the sneaky, uh, the drawings kid. in there. I, I, it's quite a prominent one as well. It's, it's one of my favourite drawings, unfortunately. It's the um, the trap, which is a pile of coins. I don't think oh, you've come yes. across it. Yeah. That's Eric Summerer, the swine. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Cheeky. And yeah. there I was sitting there going, that I, I looks never really even good. Stopped. Yeah. I never even stuck one of my pictures in, um, but he stuck one of his in. So that's because he, he he got his kids to send a load in, and he he was drawing with them, and then just sent it all in, and I hadn't realised. So got the. And to be fair, we don't actually ask for birth certificates um, on with submissions. So. I think probably, possibly, some parents, other parents, have got their their work in as well. But that's all right. It's it's a family game. That's that's a family game. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I might even stand a chance there. My my drawing's (laughs) terrible. (laughs) That's it. Gary's got this theory that you can't tell how old a kid is by their drawings. So he's got some drawings that he thought being done by a two year old that's been a a twelve year old, (laughs) and some some drawings done by a five year old that he thinks has been a fifteen year old. People get to a certain stage in their drawing and then they stop drawing. Yes. Um, which is a real shame. I was probably about 13, 14 when I stopped doing little cartoons and stuff. So my ca- my cartoons now, I don't think you could differentiate them between when I was 12. So it's quite easy to, to sneak something by us. Try not to, please. No. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not so dishonest that we wouldn't do that. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, kind of, I, I do tend to go on. I do apologize. <laughs> That's, That's all good. I mean. it's, it's all time. <laughs> Um, uh, we've we've actually covered the other question I was going to ask, which was about the whole um, you know custom content that you could design yeah. your own, own stuff because that was another aspect of it that I really liked. Yeah, yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think it's something we're really, really proud of, and we don't expect every kid to do it. But for those two or three kids where Core Quest really strikes an, a nerve and is their favourite game, I love to think that they can spend hours in their bedroom making their own maps and make, yeah. you know, make not the maps, but you know, making their own stuff and devising their own stories and, and things like that. And we've had a few kids send in their quests to us and we've, we've hosted them and I've got, I still need to do a couple actually, but we've hosted them on the website and, and people can play through it if they want. And you know, it's, it's amazing. It really is mm-hmm. nice. So yeah, for those, those two or three kids who get obsessed with it, it's just so lovely to think that it's, it's our game that's inspired them to be so creative. It's not just, not just a family bonding experience, which is, good enough in itself i mean that that's a big thing that we really wanted to happen was it when we wanted to create a game where parents or guardians or whoever adults and children can play at the same time and get equal amounts of enjoyment from you know so it's not it's not an adult playing down to a child's level or not a child struggling to play agricola because their dad wants to yeah. um it, it's, a, it's a game where it's aimed at kids but also aimed at adults it's aimed at families rather than a kid's game it's a, a family game is what it is so i don't know why i'm, I'm babbling i apologize <laughs> Um, so just just the fact it's special in people's lives is amazing. You know, even if it's one person's life, it's amazing. That's good. Like I said, my my son is a is a 
huge fan of it. So he's a huge fan of that. I'm a big fan of it as well. But yeah. um, I, I'm more a fan of podcasts and, and video content and stuff. And as I said earlier, I do enjoy your sporadically bored podcast. Thank you. It always makes me laugh. But, um, you know, how, how have you found the world of podcasting? Because I think you've done, as you said, you did This Game is Broken and you've done quite a few. I've done uh, loads of podcasts. Um, I, I started ooh, 15, 16 years ago. Um, and I was doing a, I did a movie podcast every week where we reviewed movies from the 80s um, every week for four years that went on then later on I did a TV show podcast I've done an Avatar The Last Airbender podcast for a short period of time a Marvel Unlimited book club type thing um, so where we looked at Marvel comics I've, I've done a lot I start lots of podcasts podcasting is fantastic as, as you know because it's a way of creating something a way of expressing yourself and putting it out there for literally the entire world to hear if they download it. I mean, they won't, but uh, but you know, ultimately, a hundred people will download it if you're lucky. But it's a way of 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 having your own radio show, having your voice heard, being able to be able to. Speak to speak and talk about whatever you want with no gatekeepers. There's no no one no one can stop you doing a podcast. No, mm. uh, no, no, there's no one there checking you good, which is probably a good idea for me. And and there's no there's no it's like YouTube. No no one can stop you making a TV show. It's it's like takeover TV, but just international. So yeah, I love podcasting. I love podcasting. I love YouTube. I love I love all these democratization of of, mm. of, of media. I think it's fantastic. I'm a big fan of the punk rock. I, I love blogs, although blogs kind of stopped. But but kind of the the fact you can run your own magazine, you can run your own radio show, you can run your own TV channel. All you need is these days. All you need is a phone. Yeah. Um, and 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 while there are some people in, in in Western society who can't afford a phone, the majority of people can afford a smartphone, and that's all you need. Um, so anyone can do it. Very few barriers. The the, the microphone on a on an iPhone is is fantastic, actually, mm. uh, or, or, or just on your headphones or, or whatever. You've got Audacity for free. Yeah. Or you've got various stuff on various apps, which is free. Just 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 go do it. Yeah. Because this was never yeah. something that you were really into was it and until i dragged you on when i was yeah, desperate was one week pretty much it's it just like oh that's kind of cool and uh yeah. I, I, what was it you said a couple of weeks ago and i asked you if you were still enjoying hell yeah he <laughs> <laughs> <You> said no <laughs> yeah let, let me out let, of this damn let house. me out of this cage yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, he says what i want him to say that's... well that's it it's good to have a subservient i wish i had a subservient co-host My... <laughs> How is it actually working with Mike? I, I've always sort of wondered that because obviously that, as you said, he's kind of he's out there now, isn't he? He's a well-known yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. People recognise how funny he is. Um, no, Mike, Mike's ace. Mike's ace. I mean, that's the main reason I do spread it abroad is because because with a long-distance relationship, French friendship relationship, but it's still a long-distance relationship. Unless you put active work into maintaining it, you end up not speaking to somebody for a few months, and then you just message, "Are you all right?" Yeah, I'm not so bad. How are you? And then it goes up. So by regularly, and when I say regularly, I'm using inverted commas there because it's usually monthly <laughs> catching up and, and and chatting and making each other laugh and and recording it because we're narcissists it's it's a it's a it's a lovely way of, of keeping it's probably i'm too old now for best friends but he's probably if, if not one of my best friends he's probably my best friend to be honest he's mike the, the only risk of saying that is he might not say the same thing and then i'll be sobbing into my cornflakes <laughs> but um but yeah no but i'm, I'm, I'm really excited because i'm going to go and go to miami in um the beginning of next month ah, so to the dice tower and dice tower retreat yeah, Dice Tower Retreat, yeah. So I get to see Mike, which is the main thing, and also Tom and Eric and Z and and all these people that have kind of snuck in. And well, I already knew them because I was doing Dice Tower stuff, but they were always still kind of like um, 
I always describe Tom as feeling like a, a bit of a kind of absent father figure. You know, you're, you're constantly kind of going, oh, I hope Tom likes this. Um, you know, kind of kind of that kind of stuff. But now I've got to know him a lot better because because basically I'm communicating with Mike all the time. And he's slap banging in the middle of that office, sending me all the gossip, all the hot <laughs> gossip he sends me. Yeah, I was going to say that's uh, probably, I think if anyone had to, to think, he's got to be one of the most well-known people within the industry. Yeah, yeah, which is which is all new. I mean, he only, start, he only started two years ago. As I say, we... Previously, he was just doing a, a segment on solo games. He was just a normal pleb like me. Um, but And we sat this podcast and we are having a good time. And then suddenly he rises through the stratosphere. I mean, I, I know other people who are relatively famous now as well, like Mike Matthew Jude has, has joined uh, Watch It Play. That's it, Matthew Jude. Now, I've got two friends. It's Matthew Jude and, and, and Mike Lissy. Everyone else, everyone else hates me. I might have said yeah. that you, you tend to insult quite a few people quite often. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Yeah. They love it. They love a bit of it. They love a bit of it. But it's really interesting because I've gone from not knowing any anybody in the industry to a lot of my friends have started working in the industry. It's really, really odd um, how the board game industry sucks people in, not just on the media side. One of my friends from Huddersfield, Flavian, he was just a, a member of my board game group that I really got on with. And now suddenly he's head of Hache UK. Oh, wow. um, so I've got another friend, Luke Pryor, who who was just a, you know, a, a friend I knew from gaming and, and and he's now works for GameFound. There's loads of people who just kind of. There's a lot of networking I think goes on yes. in, in board gaming. Mm. It's not necessarily a, a nepotism because because people are open to meeting new people. But then that's how you get to know about the. I suppose it's any industry because I work in the NHS. I'm not really used to this kind of way of way it works where you just kind of fall into jobs. In NHS, it's all. Just, Basically, you do your training and you become a nurse, and then that's it. But I suppose that's how a lot of industries work: is if you know the, know somebody, then they introduce you to someone else, and you find yourself working in it. I suppose that's that's what I'm just finding, really. That's good. Let's have a look at our, our little list. See if we've got any other questions that we can uh, chuck your way, shall we? Yeah, because we, you know, we've really structured here. We've managed to <laughs> not stick to this at all. You wouldn't catch me doing an unstructured podcast. <laughs> I actually, Ours is tightly I, scripted. I I do prefer it that way when it's more organic, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, Although yeah. to be I fair, think, I, I think we have talked about board games a bit more than what you talk about. <laughs> well, we very rarely talk about board. <laughs> I don't want to talk about. To be honest, I don't want to talk about board games that much with Mike because that's his day job. I don't yes. want. I don't. I don't want our podcast to feel like his day job. I want it to feel like not his day job. To be fair, I know I've said this to James on multiple occasions. You know, that's that's my one rule with regards to doing the podcast. At one point, we were trying to do video production as well, but you know, I'm a busy man, can't be dealing with it. But I always said, "It's like this is a, still a hobby, and it needs to stay yeah. a hobby because the second it becomes a job, I will lose interest." Yeah, well, that's always been the same with me. I mean, it hasn't with Core Quest, interestingly enough, and I think that's because I've got almost complete creative control alongside Gary and Cora. Mm. But um, I say that I do a podcast as well. I don't know. I don't know. I, I used to write a blog, and I, I got a job, a part-time job, working for Xbox in the UK, writing articles for their website and stuff i got approached by them and i said yeah i'll do it and the moment they sent me that first paycheck i hated writing um it's it, it's it's really interesting some people can do their hobbies for for a living and enjoy it i'm coming around to the fact i might be able to because i'm still enjoying the core quest stuff yeah. but previously i've always really struggled soon as i had a patreon for a little while because my computer broke and i needed a new computer and i couldn't afford a new one so i ran a patreon for about nine months but as soon as i paid off my computer even though people were willing to still mm. contribute to the patreon 
I, I shut it down because I felt no, because it just makes it feel yeah. a bit. It, it becomes a job, and then you sort of start yeah. rejecting it a bit. Yeah, and then you feel obligated to do it, so then you feel resentful yeah. of it, and then and then blah blah blah, and, and and that that that's the issue with it. I think I think it's that sense of obligation. As I say, funnily enough, it's not happened to me at all with Corcus. It's just been complete joy and excitement, even though theoretically it is a job, although you don't get a great deal of money from that kind of stuff. But yeah. but still, oh, a lot of people don't seem to understand that though. There's, there's thousands and millions that people make when they make a board game you know you're yeah, you're yeah. very clearly a millionaire obviously you're just hiding <laughs> it well, 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 well because because the because the kickstarter raised um 150,000 i've got had a neighbor down the street because it, the other thing that happened with the kickstarter is because it was a feel good story and mm. around covid and because the kickstarter was running in the middle of another lockdown we ended up getting on bbc breakfast we ended up getting on um, I remember the look north thing the guardian ran an article on us and the local paper putting us on put us on their front page and so basically every all my patients saw it and all on all on my neighbors saw it and um my, my neighbor was just convinced i had 150 grand kind of tucked i'm thinking no i've got to pay for the games to be made i've got to i've, I've got other people partners you know who, who are taking a share chorus taking a share. we're not we're not rich no. <laughs> but he was, he was he was like hey, can you buy your house out right now it's like no well i could do but then i have a lot of angry kids <laughs> after me you yeah. know when, when that 150 grand landed in my bank account i went oh that's nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely imagine. I, I would have had to have, I yep. think, set up a, a dedicated bank account to put it in. Yeah. Like, yeah. Here's the card, take it the hell away from yep. me. I, I, would <laughs> have, I, I would yeah. have had to put the card in a box with a big note on it that said, no! <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was not It was a separate bank account just to, just to stop it getting mixed up with everything else. But yeah. but no, I did I did use the card to, to pay the exorbitant uh, shipping fees and things like that. Fascinating how much shipping costs. Not... Just what they're talking about at the moment, which is shipping from China to, well, let's say the USA. That is expensive. But it's the postage from the hub in the USA to somewhere else. $18 a game it costs us to post. I mean, a lot of people don't think think that way though they think oh well i can order something from amazon and it's free yeah yeah i, I mean I, and I, I get it you know the, 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 there was there was more margins than, than a shop so that's what that's where that all went if you went to a shop the the chunk of distributor and the the shopkeeper took basically was taken up by us subsidizing postage which is fine i mean that's all part of the that's part of the thing one of the one of the things we're very 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 passionate about with core request is that it was as cheap as possible because yeah. i think when we talk about accessibility in gaming and things like that and, and and not discriminating against people in gaming i think one of the biggest discriminatory factors is socioeconomic, especially with a family game. You don't want to you don't want to put it so only the, the wealthy can can enjoy yeah. it. And yeah. I feel very strongly about that. And you have to buy the stuff, so I have to sell it, so I have to pay something for it. But but it was always about keeping the cost as, as low as humanly possible. But, the, but there was one chap in Canada who I think it cost just like fifty dollars to ship one game of Cora Quest to him. Wow! Because he lived in a place that didn't have any. Um, roads so it had to be flown to him on one of these kind of north oh. exposure planes do you know what i mean like, a, a little biplane or something like that uh, i'm assuming that's what happened anyway because i because i saw the cost of how much it cut so so i had his address so i i, I I Google mapped him, basically. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's against the uh, the data protection laws or not. But but that guy still paid eleven dollars for his postage, even though it cost us fifty yeah. fifty dollars. Because you can't get that kind of fine grain control on it. I think, for, for speaking as a backer and on behalf of all the backers, we'll, we'll just say to you that gentleman, you're welcome, sir. 
You're welcome. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, it wasn't, exactly, yeah. It all came out of everybody else's stuff. Same as the two people who bought it in Israel. Bloody hell, it's so expensive to expose to its stuff to Israel. But that's fine. I mean, it's all part of the, it, you know, it all comes to... Part and parcel of it. it all. Part and parcel of it, isn't it? And again, they wouldn't want to discriminate against that person because he lives in a, in a shack in a bear-infested wood. Um, but, but yeah... So yeah, it's just it's just interesting. It was a really fascinating insight into how much things cost and how the industry works and things like you know. I, th- I think we were just lucky that we funded as well as we did because I think we might have actually struggled if, if we just funded the safety testing for the game because it's a kids game. It needs to be safety tested. That was two grand alone. So if we'd only made eight grand, that's a, a quarter of the profits gone on safety testing, and that's before yeah. anything gets made or sent out so we were just lucky we were just lucky it was as successful as it was really we, 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 we were lucky in a wide variety of things with this project it's, it's, it's been very fortunate would you say that that's why a lot of campaigns now and I know James doesn't know a lot about this because he doesn't really look at Kickstarter and GameFound and stuff but do you reckon that's why a lot of Kickstarters now have a much higher funding goal is to sort of cover that potential deficit it's a really tricky one because the way kickstarter works is if you don't fund in the first two days you're probably going to struggle to fund um and that's not about anything other than backers looking at your project and thinking ah, i'm not going to back that it's probably not going to fund and yeah. so they don't back it so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and so some people keep their their funding goal artificially low and then that's when you get the situations where people get more than their funding goal yet they still cancel because yeah. their real funding goal was was elsewhere we didn't do that we we set ours out what we wanted what we thought was a minimum uh, but in reality it probably was a bit we should have maybe gone a bit above that but but still we were lucky I think in Kickstarter there's going to be a two tier system now um, I think there's the Seamons and the Mythics and the, yeah. the Awakened well- Realms that are going to pu- pump out these hundreds and hundreds of dollar projects I mean it wasn't that long ago where a hundred dollar project was like an abnormality oh yeah and and, and, and now it's a norm and people are going oh it's quite cheap it's only hundred dollars and, 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 and then you pay an extra, you know, fifty dollars in. I know I'm talking in dollars, but that's just the way. It Most of the listeners are in America. It's fine. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, and I think they're going to gravitate to kind of back a kit and game found. So people who have all got their audiences already are going to go to back a kit and game found, and have got budgets for massive advertising campaigns. Because yeah. that's the other thing that I find fascinating. We didn't spend anything money on advertising, which um, which is something I'm quite proud of actually, because because all all the all the support for us was organically grown from yes. the community rather yeah. rather than anything else. But um, but people. People spend, spend people spend thousands and thousands on advertising and the, the stats I've heard is they call them leads so someone signing up to your um, mailing list generally it's a lead yeah it's a lead yeah and they say one dollar per lead is a, is a is a good a good outcome yeah then they say and from your mailing list you're roughly going to get about 10 percent of those people on your mailing list are going to become backers so if you're paying one dollar per lead on your mailing list and then only 10 percent of those people that's ten dollars ten dollars worth of advertising per purchase and our game was only forty dollars good job we didn't do any advertising because it wouldn't have been at all cost effective we'd have spent no. all our money on advertising and safety testing and, and, not, <laughs> and yeah. have nothing left so so yeah so i think there could be two tiers it could be the, the 100 200 300 600 dollars you know simon piles of plastic and then there's going to be the grassroots asking for 500 dollars for a card game asking asking for you know the, the, the smaller stuff and i think we're going to f- 
see a bigger disparity between the two. I think we get, the grassroots is always going to be there. The do-it-yourself, the punk stuff is always going to be there. But I think the corporate world has kind of descended upon us now. And yeah. I think the days of everyone being do-it-yourself and doing it out of your garage has gone. And you're going to have a corporate layer and then you're going to have a one guy in his back room. It's kind of like what happened to eBay, wasn't it? Originally, eBay was just, you know... Buy, buy secondhand stuff. Yeah. Online and, car boot sale. And now, I think I went on there the other day, and as soon as you search things, you know, I know this is very UK specific, but you know, I think the top uh, search results were Argos, Sainsbury's, yeah. Yeah. things like that. And yeah. it's like, you've got your own, why are you on eBay? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. And, and, and I think it's just the way of the world, but yeah. I, and I suppose we just have to be, have to be accepted, but, but as long as the, the little man's at the bottom, yes. which I consider, I consider myself as a, a little man, even though I'm, I'm not in reality a little man, I'm a big fat man, but, oh, but, but, don't but worry, I'm, I'm right there with you on that one. <laughs> Proud of it. it. In the world of board games, I'm a little man, so that's fine. I've been desperately trying to avoid talking about it and trying to claw information out of you, but I I can't. I can't not talk about it anymore. I want to talk about the expansion that is coming. So the the expansion is coming. It's coming in October. Um, It's been a really interesting, difficult decision about when to do that to be honest because there's been a bit of a delay on the retail release it's not mm. out in retail yet isn't correct question and the reasons behind that are twofold it's because they're the um we're very fortunate in that some foreign language partners wanted to to publish it in their language so we've got korean china mandarin i think chinese oh, wow. polish and French, which is very exciting. But that, because CoraQuest is so wordy, and that's my fault, because it's the massive quest book, that it all had to be translated. So that took time. So that actually was still going on while we were fulfilling tobaccos. And then Bright Eye Games, who, who chose to publish it, a very t- it's only one man, ultimately, or, yeah. or two men. They wanted to print all these language copies at the same time as the English one, so you, you could get the, the bulk buying, because uh, yeah. it's quite a significant bulk buy. So instead of just printing, I don't know what the numbers are, but 5,000 English ones and 1,000 French ones separately. If you print 6,000, then you, you, you get a bigger discount. Of course, yeah. So we waited until they were finished, until they pressed the print button, and then, unfortunately, as soon as we pressed the print button, Shanghai went into lockdown, um, which is unfortunate for them. I mean, it's, it's minor inconvenience to us, so it was horrible for them. But um, And then it was two months until they could actually start printing it, So which is why it's only being basically loaded onto boats at the moment. Um, it's all finished, it's just being loaded onto boats. Um, so... That wasn't me being doing a very good job of promoting the expansion. Um, but anyway, so, so it was difficult. Ideally, we want the game in as many people's hands before we release an expansion, so so the audience is bigger for an expansion. However, we're also very conscious that because it's a kid's game, children get older, and the longer we leave it until... If we left it three years to expansion, all the people who bought the original Cora Quest, their kids probably... Have grown out of it or whatever so so it, it, it's that kind of delicate balancing act expansion i'm going to talk about it now ready um so it's a, it's basically more of the same that's ultimately what it's about it's it, there's, ten, there's 10 more quests however now we put a system in place core and i have devised a system where you can level up so basically your leveling up is about buying training from uh from the from the adventurers school and you you will collect the coins that are on the cards already the treasure coins on the on the treasure cards there's, there's coins written on drawn on them so you collect those coins and we'll have a cardboard coins to collect so every time you get some treasure you'll you'll, you'll see how many coins there are on the card you'll collect the coins and then at the end of the game you'll be able to buy training for your characters which will usually take the place of an additional special ability you can use or possibly stat stat boosts and things like that there's, there's a number of ones but you'll be able to choose so it's a little bit like a tech tree type type situation and you'll also be able to keep your equipment between adventures so that's one of the things that we're introducing in the in the um, expansion 
The other thing we're introducing in the expansion is new environments. So some of them are going to be, they're not going to be stretch goals because we're not going to, it's not going to be dependent on cash raised, but it's going to be kind of timed releases just to keep interest in the campaign. The ones that we've got um, public at the moment are slime pits and ice caverns. Nice. And so there'll be there'll be new area those kind of, they'll have little special rules and new more interesting kind of dungeon tack cards and stuff to explore th- those things as well. So there's going to be I think five new environments to explore. And one of the things with campaigns I don't know about yourself but campaign games have always been I've always been a little bit wary of campaign games, which is why I never made um, Core Quest a campaign game initially. Because what happens is you play the first game and then you're either playing with a new person, so you have to play the first game again, or you've forgotten quite how it works, so you play the first game again. So, so the, on, the only game that ever gets played is the first game. So I was very keen for every game to be played individually so you can dip in and out and, and, and do whatever you want. You, know, you can you know, straight to the back adventure if you wanted to. So the way we're working this campaign... The campaign system is that we have got two campaigns of five adventures each. However, all the adventures are you can play each adventure individually, or you can play it as part of a campaign. And there's a, there's a kind of a scaling system that when you've played two adventures from this campaign, then you basically you get get a thing where the, the monsters get a little bit harder. So so there is a it does get progressively harder because you you are leveling up, so you get better. But the the campaign rules mean that that it maintains a kind of level of difficulty because some kids some kids will go racing off and on their own revealing card after card and getting monsters down on them and, and things like that and some kids will be so trepidatious about exploring and have hard and fast rules about when you, you never explore on the last turn or whatever so the way i balanced it is basically you're allowed to make three or four very foolish moves before before the weight of the game comes down on you, <laughs> but and that's the best I could do, really. I mean, people people say it's too easy, too hard, but you can't get everybody. One of the things that was really important to me writing the adventures is that there's a pace to it, so it carries on, and also it builds to a climax. I always wanted a, a climactic scene at the end, yeah. whether that's a big baddie or you've got to race to get somewhere or or, or whatever. Whether I'm successful or not, I don't know. But but that's that's always been the as well as the game mechanics. There's got to be a narrative pace and narrative reward and and, and things like that. Um, just to keep keep it exciting, really. You know, just be an exciting game. So, yeah. Sorry, I babble. I, I, I know. I know. It's all I good. Know. Like I say, I, I'm sitting here listening intently. So. Yeah, I was just, <laughs> just uh, what you were saying about the difficulty scaling. That actually reminded me about the first time we played it. Whereas we we would definitely have fallen into the camp of yeah. completely reckless because yeah. I think we just. <laughs> Like, which is that way, <laughs> which is fun. And when I'm doing when I'm doing that initial playtest, I mean, obviously I, I blind playtest it with families and kids as well. But when doing that initial playtest, I always go right. Let's do a silly thing now. Let's just go that way. And Cora's like, no, don't. It's like I'm kind of checking it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we got absolutely stomped <laughs> by the game because we we were just exploring left, right, and centre and spawning far too many enemies and then <laughs> it was just, yeah we just got swamped but it was a thorough, thoroughly enjoyable stomping <laughs> and there's, got, there's got to be some tactics to it otherwise the, there's got to be decisions to be made otherwise the grown-ups will lose any interest yeah. Yeah. and there are there are lots of decisions to be made within CoraQuest um, and there are, there are, you know, there's a pattern of behaviour that is rewarded, but that, but occasionally I'll throw an adventure in where if you do stay back and don't get reckless enough, you're going to get stomped as well. There's a couple of adventures, both in the base game and the campaign game, where you've got a, a ghost that's going to be chasing you through the dungeon. So <laughs> nice. every turn it's going to move a number of squares. I think it's three. 
Um, and if it catches one certain person, you lose the game. So that person has to be constantly running away from from the ghost, and then everyone else is kind of running interference, trying to because that person is just basically revealing card after card after card, acting like an irresponsible fool. Yeah. Um, and, and the other people have to kind of go, ah, stop, stop them dying and stuff. <laughs> so and that's that's a re- it's quite hard actually, but it's a re- it's a really really um, in, I really like that adventure. I'm quite proud of that one. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm already intrigued by that, that one. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to play this with the kids anymore. It's like this is now an adult's game. Well, you can make it harder by if you if you flip the the baddies over, they get more health, and that makes it a lot lot yeah. harder. But yeah, very nice. I'm incredibly excited mm. about this, and uh, I, I mean, James, you you are going to be dragged into playing this. For the I know. You realize this, yeah. I know. I'm looking forward to it. So yes, uh, I, you can definitely count me in as yep. a backer on that one. So that's oh, a, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Uh, that's a backer from Crawley for you. Um, right, I'll, I'll write think... that down. I'll tick. I'll tick you off. And if there's no backer from Crawley, I'll be ringing you up. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Um, I think, to be honest, I think there's going to be at least three or four from this area because when oh. Coral Quest first went live and we were in lockdown, we were playing it as part of our Monday night uh, game night uh, with our usual game group. And I remember introducing everyone to it on Tabletop Simulator. And of course, they, they all have families, so they all went and bought it. Since... Since we reopened our game club after COVID, we've had a mass amount of new members that have come down, a lot of them with young families, and sort of we've introduced them slowly to the podcast, and they've listened, and Core Quest was one of the ones that they've sort of gone, can you tell us a bit more about this? I can do better. I can run you through the game. So hopefully you'll see a, a fair few people from from well, Crawley, Horsham and surrounding areas. Be, well, that's very kind of you. Thank you for introducing it to people. That's, that's very generous. Not a problem. Mm. So it's kind of our pleasure, really. So. Is there going to be a yeah. character of you in the game? No, which is very frustrating um, because we created this guy character we initially called Big Guy, but I think he's going to, I think he's going to, um, his name's going to be changed. And I said, Cora, draw Big Guy. You could draw him with a beard and glasses and, and bald head. He could, because Cora drew herself as Wizard Woman. That mm-hmm. Wizard Woman was her self-portrait although she's wearing a dress and Cora hasn't worn a dress since she was four but but still and I said well you could put you could put you could put me and I could be a big guy so she drew this flipping carnival guy with a with a twirly moustache and a big muscle anyway, he's not me basically is what I'm saying um, which was very upsetting so um, so no I don't think so unfortunately but he didn't look like a big guy he looks like a kind of Mr. Mr. Muscles or Muscles McGee is what I've, I've started calling him um, so so we'll see what he ends up being called nice. who, who does the naming the characters. Uh, Cora does the naming, and and I was initially very frustrated because she refused to give them actual names. So I said, "What are we going to call this?" And and she was kept on just calling them because when we were play testing, okay, so Wizard Woman's going to go over here, and the Halfling is going to go over there, and you know, Crossbow Dude is going to go over here, and and so I said, well, "Let's give them names." She said, no, no, I don't want to. I said, "All right, yeah. okay, we'll call them Crossbow Dude." But I actually think that that's been to our credit. I think people like the fact they call Crossbow yes. Dude and Wizard Woman and, and and things like that. There's two that are actually called a bit more descriptive. There's Robo Kettle and there's Healer Cat. And the reason they're slightly different named is because Cora didn't create those. They were created by, um, do you know Ian O'Toole? Indeed, yeah. We we contacted Ian O'Toole and say, we're not interested in your art. Um, <laughs> we want your kids' art, basically. We thought that would be a funny thing to, to do. Yeah. So, And the campaign, there's going to be an even more famous artist who's involved with board games 
their children uh, we're looking at their children doing a doing a, 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 a and I'll, I'll, I can tell you after top secret but I'll tell you after the Ooh, um, after the podcast yeah. um, they haven't done it yet saying that so so I can't, can't be completely but that, <laughs> but but currently that's the, that's the plan for this the, so I, I really like the idea of just the kind of famous artists but we're not interested in that yeah, yeah, yeah. don't on that so so um, so you know tools um, kids drew healer cat and Robo kettle and named them. Very, very yeah. nice. And bodyguard cat as well. Nice. I mean, I, I get uh, quite uh, angry when people take crossbow dude and it's not me. So, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, he's, he's between him and Wizard Woman, I think they're the two strongest uh, characters in the in the game. I, I didn't I even look at that. I literally saw the name and went, that's the one for me. <laughs> and crossbow dude actually is, this is the, this is a prototype. That's, that was originally crossbow dude. That's Cora's drawing of crossbow dude. Nice. And then, and then we, um, we changed it for, for, uh, for, uh, somebody sent us a picture in and we thought, oh, well, let's, let's have as many kids art in the bottle. So, course, so we changed yeah. the crossbow dude, dude uh, art. But Cora's still got the majority of her art in it. About 50% of it's Cora's, I think. Nice. At this point, I think we should hand the floor over to you because we've taken so much of your time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I've, I've hardly got a word in. I, uh, I, I, I know, I, I sorry. Yeah. We, 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 <laughs> we rub it on too much, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry, I do, I do talk a lot. Well, basically, if you're interested in Core Quest, it will be in retail shops in the UK. We're hoping kind of the end of September. Rest of the rest of the world is going to be October type time. The the Kickstarter for the expansion will take place towards probably the last week in October. October that kind of time, uh, or, or maybe the second class. I, I'm not sure, but basically, it, it's so we can avoid ending it around Thanksgiving because that yes. wouldn't be a good idea, and, and we don't want to go into December either because no one's everyone's money's tight in December. Yeah. So, so October, and you can go to corequest.com, um, and there's a link there to the Kickstarter preview page, uh, not preview page, the, the you know notify me and launch page, so you can do that. And there's also, on CoreQuest.com, there's also a sign up to our newsletter thing. So I'm, I'm, I don't spam people with that, but I'm just going to do one one a month, um, yeah. basically, and then one, maybe one before the, the week before the Kickstarter starts, and then one on the day it starts, and then that, that'll be it. I'm not, I'm not spamming, spamming anybody. I hope, and that's where you also, because the other thing we'll be doing is looking for more art. So if you have a child, or if you want to pretend to be a child, who wants a who wants art? No, don't do that. But who wants art in the, the game? Who, who would really kind of appreciate seeing their art in a board game? Basically, we're calling out for art periodically. Um, at the moment, we're open. We're doing uh, the Goblin King and Archer Lady. Um, are the, so a hero and an enemy. But there'll be loads more opportunities. I think that's coming to a close now. But there'll be loads more opportunities to, for, for art and stuff. And that'll be running both before the campaign and also during the campaign. So if you've got a kid that wants to send us in art, you don't have to back the game or anything. If, you, if, you just kid, if you'd like your kid to, 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 to have something purposeful to draw or whatever, then... Um, then Sign up to our mailing list and, and you'll get details on how to do that. And the last thing is the Facebook group. The Facebook group is very good. If you're into Facebook, uh, it's a place where I, I, I kind of talk a bit more informally um, about my grumbles about having... I'm writing a choose-your-own-adventure story at the moment, which will accompany the Kickstarter. Um, each stretch goal is going to be also come with a episode of the choose-your-own-adventure thing, which will you'll play through and then it will give you a clue to the next stretch goal nice. so it's kind of a but I tell you what right I choose your own adventure story I, I thought oh, I've only got 10, 10 to do but then if you, each one's got four branches you've got 40 stories you're writing <laughs> which is uh, it's taking me a while but anyway so if you want to hear me really kind of passively aggressively grumble about that about Gary making me do that then you can go to the CoreQuest Facebook group and, and, and see that and finally uh, Spadically Bored is my podcast so if you haven't had enough of my voice then you can come to see listen to us on Spadically Bored very nice I think that's yes. it let's see that's professional yep 
That right there is professional. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we need to learn this, James. Like, we've been doing this two years now. That's years uh, of you've experience. You've been doing there. this two years. Oh, this is true. Yeah, you can get away with it with a year. Call for action. That's what they call that bit. Call for action. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. All, all of those keywords that us creators have to uh, have to remember and well, do. Yeah. And all that. Whether you need to do it or not. <laughs> yeah. There's there's, there's 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 joy in not being too professional, in my opinion. But still, I I would agree. I I like to think that we have a laid back uh, show. To be honest, we like to just sit and have a laugh, and like yeah. you said, it's a hobby that we do this. So. Exactly, exactly, and there's no, no, nothing against people who want to do it as a profession, but um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, I'm looking forward to the campaign, and especially when it's going to launch, because I will actually have my son for the full week that week. So, I oh, excellent! I will be uh, getting him to do some drawing. Oh, well, that that's that that will be really good. I can I can, I can even give you a bit. Of, I, won't, I won't say that online. I won't say that on, on air. <laughs> I won't tell you. I'll give you a heads up of what's coming. Okay. <laughs> Loving all this juicy gossip. Yeah, that's it. I'll get I'll get the NDA out so that we have to sign it. <laughs> but yes, thank you very much for joining us and and coming on our humble little show. No, well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it very much. It's uh, it's it's nice. You know, we we like to sort of get as many guests on as we can from within the industry and every time we like to just sort of you know just try and step it up get what people want to listen to so i've, I've got you a good suggestion for next time but oh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know that in a minute yeah. okay perfect we shall look forward to hearing it but mm. uh yeah until next time we, we will say goodbye would you like to join us in saying goodbye i will yes Excellent. do you have a special sign off it's just goodbye no yeah bugger off so, <laughs> whatever really no. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're fed up here now goodbye yeah, yeah that's us done we will hand over to our man in the new shed because he's going to give us some news but until next week I've been Jason I've been James and I've been Dan Hughes and you've been listening to the Meeple Minded Podcast join us next week for more tabletop gaming goodness till then ta-ta goodbye bye-bye Brian get him no he's over there now thing is really getting on my wick now. Oh, come on, you're not quick enough. Come here, you bugger. Oh, he stopped. Brian, do not move. He's on your head. I said don't move. You may feel a dull thud. That got him. Brian? Brian? Oh, you'll be alright. Just take it easy there for a bit, and I'll push our new button. Hang on, what's this? Someone is vying to take on the behemoths that are Magic the Gathering and Pokemon card games. Who on earth's trying that? Oh, Mickey Mouse. That's right, House of Mouse, or Disney, announced not too long ago in a press release that it would be releasing a collectible come trading card game in late 2023. Although no images were given with the press release, we were promised that cards would be available for interested eyes this coming week at Disney's D23 Expo in California. 
Ravensburger, the company responsible for publishing the successful villainous line for Disney, will be taking the reins for the game, after its success with the aforementioned and the Marvel and Star Wars variants. The game will be entitled Lorcana, a world set in the Great Illuminary, and will be seeing players pulling together their favourite characters in this magical world as Illumineers with a modern storybook art style and plenty of vibing to Disney classic tunes beckoning. The press release mentions being less confrontational than Magic and is aimed at a family-friendly audience while still being a strategy card game. A full list of characters entering the fray have yet to be revealed, but with the ever-growing stable of weird and wonderful characters and creatures to feature, they sure won't come up short. That's not to mention the Pixar, Star Wars and Marvel universes as backup. Shiny Wally or Grogu, anyone? As mentioned, we may have a little more for you in the coming weeks after D23 and Disney Lorcana is set to be released sometime in late 2023. Serial crowdfunder publisher Mind Clash Games have announced their first ever straight to retail game recently. Did you hear that, Simon? Straight to retail. The upcoming title, Astra, has three Hungarian designers, which I have no right in attempting to pronounce their names, will be available to purchase at this year's Essenspiel 22 under a new guise of Mind Clash Play. Mindclash Play, while still part of Mindclash Games, is focused on accessible, lower-entry games much lighter than the bigger, heavier games Mindclash Games is known for, such as Cerebria, Anachrony, and Trikerion. In Astra, two to five players take on the role of astronomers discovering constellations in the night sky in a highly interactive game featuring an innovative approach to card bidding. Astra is based on the 48 constellations described in ancient astronomer Ptolemy's The Amalgus. On your turn, you collect and spend stardust to mark stars with your dry erase marker, discover and collect constellations and earn boons or rewards and abilities granted by discovering the constellations. Additionally, you also gain fame or victory points for your efforts exploring the night sky. The player with the most fame at the end of the game is the winner. It plays very smoothly and is a surprisingly thinky game. The rules are easy to digest, it has a lot of player interaction and the tough decisions are plentiful and never dull. It's definitely more on the abstract side, but the theme is a nice touch and very well implemented. The overall production and presentation is well done too, with great components and excellent iconography. Another game that will be demoing at Eschenspiel this year with its retail release following shortly after in October is Challengers, which is being developed and published by the Austrian publisher One More Time Games, jointly licensed with Z-Man Games. Challengers is an interactive deck management game for 1-8 to eight players that plays in about 45 minutes, independent of player count. With a tournament gameplay style, you meet another opponent every round. In the deck phase, you choose new members and add them to your deck, which might consist of wizards, aliens, a cat, gangsters, or even a kraken. 75 distinct characters with more than 40 exciting effects create a unique experience every game. So choose from six different sets and discover new strategies and synergies every game. Your goal in challenges is to capture the flag during the match phase. Well, 
The flag will change hands between you and your opponent multiple times over the course of a duel, so you want to be in the possession of that flag when the duel ends. So if you win the duel, you collect a trophy, with trophies worth a varying number of fans, which are the game's points, and with trophies being more valuable in later rounds of the game. Try to get the most fans and trophies over the course of 7 rounds to be able to qualify for the final. If you can best your opponent in the final, you win challenges. And if you think that all sounds a lot like a board game adaptation of a digital auto battler, then you'd be right. I'm heading on over to crowdfunding now and this first one is up on GameFound. Yep, we're disappearing over there for a short while. The first game is Powerline, designed by Dirk Hen and published by Queen Games under their new Green Planet banner. It's for 1-6 to six players, it's going to take 45 minutes to play, it's for 8 years and over and it ends on Tuesday, September the 13th. Green Planet is a new product line from Queen Games that will feature designs that envisage a bright future for the planet. Along with the theme of the games in the series, they will be working to minimise their environmental impact in manufacturing and transportation decisions, as well as using some of the profits to plant trees to replace those used to make the cardboard. So in Powerline, players attempt to connect cities with new sources of energy production. In each of the 16 game rounds, 6 coloured dice are rolled and arranged on their designated spaces on the central board. Each player has a player board that shows power lines ranging in length from 3 to 12 spaces, with each space showing the result of a die. Players may choose to use the 6 dice going from right to left or left to right in order to build the power lines on their board. However, they may use a certain number of dice only a fixed number of times, and a die may be skipped only by taking a penalty. During certain rounds, each of the three game objectives will be evaluated, and at the end of the game, players gain points for completed power lines and fully connected cities, then lose points for lines they started but did not complete. The player with the most points wins. Pledge at €40 Euros or £35 for the game itself, which will include a special Sunny Island Queenie mechanic which aids the player in the last position. Shipping estimates to the UK are expected to be around the €12 Euros or roughly £10, and fulfilment of the games are aiming to be made in late November this year. And now we're heading back over to Kickstarter. And the first game up here is Ooluk by Hexi Studios, and this will be their eighth release. It's for 1-4 to four players, it's taking an hour to play, 12 years and over and ends on Saturday, September the 17th. Uluk is a beautifully illustrated Euro game utilising the classic worker placement mechanics with a few twists. The players send their tribe members, called their tribers, to spaces on the board to build monuments, gather raw resources and process them into food, or sometimes into poison. Elders say that our world is a fruit of the sacred Uluk tree. No humans have ever stepped on this magical land, and you are the leaders of its hunter-gatherer tribes of sentient animals, collecting food, developing inventions, and erecting monuments in honour of the ancient gods to fulfil their spiritual needs. The winner in this competition will ensure happiness and well-being for their tribe members, and will be praised as the Ark Leader of all tribes. The players send their tribers to spaces on the main board to build monuments and gather raw resources. The resources gathered are stored on each player's tribe board and may then be processed into food. 
Feeding your tribers brings you happiness points and lets you win the game after the sixth season. Pledge at €45 Euros or £39 pounds for the base game, or include the expansions and component upgrades by going all-in for €81 Euros or £71. Pounds. And lastly on crowdfunding this week and on Kickstarter is Waking Shards by first-time publisher Rodox Tavern. It's for 2-4 to four players, takes 20 to 25 minutes to complete, it's for 12 years and over, and ends on Thursday, September the 22nd. A fracture in the world's balance has resulted in powerful energy shards dispersing all around. Ancient guardians are waking up from their eternal slumber to fight over their possession. So amass an army of guardians and collect the shards to reign supreme. Waking Shards is a portable dark fantasy card game that focuses on strategy and combos. So get victory points by recruiting guardians and control the game by collecting shards. The game is played in rounds, each round players draw a number of cards and then take turns until they empty their hands. In each turn players play one card, this can be a unit, aka a guardian, or a shard. When the round ends, the player with the strongest army or strongest units wins the round. Cards are then shuffled back into the deck to start a new round, but shards stay in play. This is where strategy comes in, because if you win the current round with a strong army, but you also want to collect shards to win future rounds. So to get the game itself in its print and play format is just £5, or grab the physical copy of the game along with the access to the print and play for €18 Euros or £16. There are additional pledge levels existing, offering upgraded game tokens, stickers, artwork packs and a jazzed up shiny version of the core game for additional pledges which I'll let you discover for yourself if it's of interest. And we're heading on over to events. Game days first and yep, it's my own group's upcoming day this coming Sunday, September the 11th. Mid-Sussex Meeples makes its return after our summer holidays. Yep, this Sunday we'll be back up and running at Cypress Hall, Cypress Road, Burgess Hill, RH158DX. We run from 10am through to 6pm, offering you 8 hours of gaming space for just £5 a head. We have tea, coffee, squash and of course biscuits included to keep your mental energy up. Plenty of free parking at the rear of the hall in Cypress Road Car Park, so check out midsussexmeeples.co.uk for any more information and of course a local map. And on to weekly events, Tuesdays has Worthing Wargamers congregating down at Dice Worthing store from 7pm until 10pm. Location of the store is 24 to 26 Portland Road, Worthing BN11 1QN, just £3 per head for the session. With food, drink and with an alcohol license you can enjoy a bevy or three whilst gaming. Wednesdays has two groups running, if you're in the Crawley area, Crawley Gaming Community is being hosted at the comic shop, 42 High Street, Crawley RH10 1BW. Gathering from 6ish onwards until close and just £3 per head there. Again food, drink and an alcohol license if you fancy some dizzy water with your dice rolling. Joining the Wednesday night groups but a little closer to the coast is Brighton Board Gaming, also known as Board Games at the Barn, run by designers Team Custard Kraken. You can find them at the West Dean Barn, Dean Vale, Brighton, BN1 5ED. They'll be running from 7pm through to 11pm, free for new attendees and £2 from there on in. 
Thursday sees three groups running, starting with Worthing Board Gamers pitching up to the Ardington Hotel, Steen Gardens Worthing BN11 3DZ from 7pm. Those of you further east can try Lewis Board Game Club at the Trinity Gaming Cafe, the location being Trinity Church, Arbinger Place, Lewis, BN7 2QA, running from 7pm through to 11pm. And coming back inland, we have Jake and Chris welcoming you to Dyson Drinks in Burgess Hill. Address for them is 7981 Church Walk, Burgess Hill, RH15 9BQ. Entry is just £5 for the evening there. Relieving to some extent that Monday feeling is Crawley Gaming Club on Monday evenings, running from 6pm over at the Tilgate Community Centre, Shackleton Road, Crawley, RH10 5DF. Just £3 per person with drinks and snacks available for purchase on site. That thing's still alive. What do you mean, don't move? Uh, 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 uh. You, 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 bye.